This week on A to Z Running, we conclude our series examining training by effort with our final conversation, this time with Sarah, and the most succinct and clear articulation of this approach to date. We also field a listener question about training in the cold and the dark. In the world of running, have you heard of the Willpower Marshmallow Test? The Magnus Science Digest included some potent studies about emotions. And the women's 24-hour world record was broken, but not by someone you'd expect. All this and a very Merry Christmas to you on A to Z Running. Hey, welcome back to the A to Z Running Podcast, where we help runners thrive with information, inspiration, and coaching and training services. I'm Andy. And I am Zach. And just a reminder that you can learn more about all of the things we do at A to Z Running.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram, Spotify, and YouTube. I have a little update because we have a bonus episode coming out this coming week. So you want to stay tuned for that. That's going to be with pro runner Willie Fink and will be released sometime at the end of the week. Extra bonuses Bonus to end episode. your year on the right foot. Well, speaking of the holidays, it's an interesting time for runners. Um, in some ways, harder. You know, the schedule's different. Life is not the same rhythm. And if you're anything like me, that's very, very difficult. Like routine is so good. But also, it's fun and festive. And uh, I hear because we talk with a lot of people. Oh, I'm wearing a hat that represents that festive. Uh, so we hear as we talk with runners, uh, something that we tend to share ourselves, which is there's often things like, uh, like family or friend jogs in, you know, weird holiday apparel, <laughs> you know, wear the colorful, the lights, the jingling, the, you know, wear all the stuff. Right. Um, and so that can be fun. And then if you live in an area, a lot of places, you know, they've put up the lights all over the place. And so you can have like a run through the city where it's like lit up in different ways. He's describing what we do. <laughs> That's what we do. But but I'm saying that because I've, I've talked to others of you who have shared very similar experiences. And so and I don't have to talk to you either because we run by other people who are doing the mm -hmm. same thing quite a bit this time of year. So that's that's the case also and and hopefully you're able to enjoy some of that kind of thing if you have others that you enjoy that kind of thing with as a runner but either way we know that uh wherever you are whatever you're doing that uh we hope that you find yourself enjoying that time mm -hmm. during these wonderful holidays we sure do let's get started with your questions <laughs> Just a reminder that you should be asking all your running questions every chance you get so that we'll answer them on air because what what better way to listen to a podcast but when it's talking about the stuff that you're thinking about, right? And so you can ask your questions anytime you can find us online or in person, ask questions in those places and uh, we grab them and we feature one or two every single week. And, you know, if there's a lot more, we may end up throwing in some extras because we don't want to miss too many of them. But if we can't get to them because we don't always get to every single question, then we will at least share thoughts with you in a response directly also. So you'll always get some kind of a response. And that's hopefully enough incentive to share all your questions. But you can do that 
by going to a to z running.com slash question or sending an email to our questions address. You can do that with questions at a to z running.com. And this question from Andrea is one that I have heard other runners ask. So I think it's a really, it's great timing, first of all. And I think it's a question that a lot of people want to know thoughts on ideas, encouragement. The question is, how do you stay motivated to run in the cold and dark of winter? The answer, move to Miami, Florida. <laughs> Wherever you are nice. in the world, just move to Miami, Florida. That would be great. It's never but dark in Miami because it's a city that never sleeps and... It's never cold. Well, I, I have to say that escaping is an option, but that's not, you know, something that we can all do all the time. So I'm going to give you some ideas, and I'm sure that this list is not complete because you might have some ideas. So please share them with me, and I'll try to share those in stories uh, in the next couple of weeks on Instagram. But here are some that I use. Save a show for only the treadmill or cross training. That was something from Colleen Quigley. She had mentioned that in an episode way back now. And I thought it was a great idea. So like choosing a show that you are not allowed to watch it unless you're on the treadmill or you are cross training. Not allowed. Well, I'm okay. <laughs> by your own choice, of course. I'm not going to dictate that to other Andy people. Andy just told you <laughs> you're not allowed to watch that show. And since she said it. But it might make you eager to actually do more or to like get on the treadmill the next day or something because you will be interested in what happens in said show. And take it from someone who knows you don't want to do something that Andy told you you're not allowed to do because it will make <laughs> your life unpleasant. <laughs> All right. So another thing that relates to my previous one is have a go-to cross training method that you feel comfortable with. It's especially helpful when it's cold and dark, and it might not be safe to run outside. So besides the treadmill, which would be great, there might be other options for you to just at least be maintaining or growing um, your fitness. So things like Zach gets on the bike sometimes. There, we I get on the zero runner sometimes. But if there's other things that you like to do, have it be like a go-to thing, like a reaction. Like if I'm not going to run today, here's this other great thing that I'm going to do for my body today. And by the way, Andy said zero runner. That's a very specific type of yes. cross. That's an elliptical designed by Octane Fitness that is, is specifically designed to be a more intuitive but mechanical elliptical. It's not this is not electric. I mean you, it has it has a computer in it, but ours has been dead for years and we yeah. haven't noticed. Well, Andy doesn't like the fact that it's been dead it's okay. for years. But it doesn't work anymore. And yet the elliptical itself, the machine still works it's just fine it's awesome never has to be plugged in you can put it anywhere mm -hmm. it's not as heavy as some of the others it's great anyway not that we're trying to push you to get yourself a zero runner but they're wonderful they are great another method of motivation is scheduling a run meetup with a friend because not only are you then accountable to that person to meet at a specific time or place that you have scheduled but also it's just more fun it's social time. It can uplift you in other ways besides just being uh, a tool to use to get out the door. And if and it's true that if you're running in the dark alone, you are more safe if you are running in the dark with other people. Yes, and that so, is definitely true. Depending on where you live, especially the case. Um, but the point remains, it's good to have other people, not just because, you know, safety in numbers, but there's more light. If you are all lit up, it's a lot harder to miss four people running at the same time lit up than one and uh, many other reasons. Mm -hmm. 
So schedule those run meetups. And then this is an unpopular suggestion. In fact, people often suggest the exact opposite of what I'm about to say. Oh, great. Here (laughs) we go. I suggest to overdress for your run. Now, a lot of people will say, like, dress 10 degrees colder than you think you want to. By a lot of people, Andy means like all the runner's world articles. And influencers and other people, they say Yeah, but influencers aren't supposed to be knowledgeable about things. (laughs) They're just supposed to be popular. That, that. We all know what the popular kids in school got on their SAT scores, but... Hey, that's not Oh, nice. sorry. Sorry, I'm not supposed to say things like that. Well, the point remains, though, that it is a stupid point of advice to say to dress less than you need to because, you know, you'll warm up and everything. And it's like, yeah, but if you dress as much as you need to and then you also warm up, then you'll be nice and cozy. <laughs> And there's nothing wrong with sweating a little more while you run. In fact, it's actually probably good for you. Um, but why why would you subject yourself to the potential of being cold? I just personally, to help get me out the door, I want to feel warm enough when I'm getting out the door. And I'm from Michigan. And many of you are from places that have four seasons. You can wear layers and take off layers as you go. So... You're not stuck with what you're wearing necessarily if you have layered well. I suggest to overdress. I like it. Might be controversial, but you know. And now in racing, though, that is a little different. I do wear less than I would on a normal run because I know I will heat up pretty quickly. But I still, even then, will have throw-off things. Like I'll wear gloves if it's colder and I'll I'll toss them if I need to. I prefer to be comfortable. Mm. It helps my stress level. I, I think over overall, it's more comfortable and helps get me out the door. The next one, bargain with yourself to do at least X and then see how it goes. Sometimes we don't feel like going out and doing 90 minutes of running, but we can tell ourselves, hey, just get out the door, do 30 minutes and then see how I, then I'll see how I feel. And then by the time we're out there, we're moving, we're finally maybe getting some vitamin D through layers and layers of clouds. <laughs> uh, I don't think it counts the same way. I'm just saying, once you're out there, a lot of times you're like, okay, I'm good. I just I just was having a moment of sadness, uh, not wanting to go for this run because it's so dark and dingy out. Yes, but also, if you're running like early in the morning, um, a, a step in the right direction here is to have a kind of step-by-step routine that is the exact same thing every time you get up and go out to run so that there's no decisions, no decisions. And you don't have that opportunity of like, I'm kind of just dawdling for a little bit. And then like, oh, look at the time. I don't quite have enough time to really get in my run. Maybe I could get an extra 15 minutes of sleep though. And so what you do is you have all of the things that you're going to do between when you wake up and when you go for the run on autopilot and They also should be the kinds of things that help you get ready to feel good on the run, like good pre-run stuff. And then you get out the door no matter what, because you didn't ever think about it from the moment the alarm went off. I have a couple other things that relate to that. I'm glad you said that, Zach, because you want to eliminate all the obstacles, meaning that if you're getting up early to run, you've heard this suggestion before, but lay out your shoes and your clothes, have it ready to go, remove the obstacles that might be ahead of you. And then to Zach's point of making sure that you have your routine down, it also warms your body up so that you're not feeling cold before you go. Because part of 
my dread for getting out in the cold is that I already feel a little cold. And so the idea of going where there, where it's even more cold does not sound appealing. But getting my body warmed up by doing my routines inside, it helps me to be able to get out the door. Something that Anna Dalton suggests is drinking hot tea. She's from Alaska. She's an Olympic trials qualifier. And I at first I'm like, why? you know, hot tea, but it helps her warm her body up. So she feels like she wants to get out and go. So I, I actually think that that's a great idea. In principle, the most important element of all of that is just increasing your heart rate though, as well, because that one helps warm you up, but also two, you feel tired in the morning because your heart rate is low. As soon as you get your heart rate up, you're not going to feel tired anymore. And so whatever that thing is, like the first thing you do after you get out of bed is like, you know, start doing push-ups or something like get your heart rate moving a little bit. It'll warm you up very quickly and you're not going to feel dragging through the rest of that routine. That's good thinking. Uh, Hot tea or hot drink of some kind. Sure. Just adds more advantage. Mm -hmm. Now, this is something that I have spoken about, but I've said that I try to avoid it at times in training, and that's listening to books, podcasts, and music while I run. So in in the summer, when I'm in the thick of training and I'm in conditioning and I want to really be intuitive and listen to my body, I suggest that runners don't listen to anything. When I'm in the winter time and I need something to help me get out the door, I let myself listen. I give myself some some more wiggle room when it comes to listening to books and podcasts and music. It it does help if you're going to do that uh, to not wear things that are like noise canceling headphones in the dark. Yes, because you know that's that's, that's not always super safe. Uh, but also on that note, uh, take it from someone who does this the wrong way too often. Um, don't press play to whatever you're listening to until you start running. Here's why. Because as soon as you press play, you are now in a state of distraction. And whatever you needed to do before you get out the door, it's going to take you longer. Andy's nodding. As I can't if she, believe he admitted this on air. Hey, that's <laughs> I'm a fairly vulnerable guy. I'm uh, willing to admit my faults if I were to have faults to admit. <laughs> so that's hilarious. But I do like that suggestion, pressing play once you leave for your run. That's also motivating, too. Like, if you are at a really good part in your book and you don't allow yourself to press play until you start running, it helps, yeah, helps move things along. I like that idea. Now, I let's see. I already said that one because we brought that earlier. <laughs> Sorry, I got you out of order. <laughs> Andy's did. got, like, okay. a, a list of things she wanted to say. Oh, if you're not feeling like the hard workout or run that's on your calendar at least get out for a jog if you can. Now, there will be days that you need to take the day off because you're fatigued or other things are going on. You have parties, this, that, the other thing. There are going to be times you're going to miss a run. But if you are feeling like, I don't really want to run and it's more of a motivation deal, if you can get out and go for just a little jog, whatever sounds tolerable to you, it's still beneficial. So even though you don't get the workout in, it's a-okay because you're going to you're gonna get something that's, you know, not going to fulfill that purpose, but it's going to continue your fitness journey and also help loosen you up. And probably at the end of that run, you're going to feel better than, than before. Now, 
this is another thing. I know it's kind of like less of a tangible thing, but remind yourself of all the things that you love about running and how it makes you feel when you are done. Maybe it's how it makes you feel when you've achieved a goal, but visualize what it is that you love about running and what success we've talked about, you know, different definitions of success. Uh, but in the, the big scheme of things, driving at that visualization of why you run and what that means to you. So if it's that feeling like, I just love feeling like good and I feel like I have lots of energy. I feel like I am strong. I, I like those feelings. Like think about that in your, your long-term success plan. And then finally, put something on the calendar. That always helps. If you yes. have a race come, if you decide to do a race in, in the spring, when you're in the dead of winter, when you're in January, February, and you know you have that race coming up, you're more likely to stay committed. You're on a plan. You're working towards a goal. Good stuff from yeah. Andy. Advice all around. And thank you for asking, Andrea. Yeah. Much appreciated. These are the kinds of questions. Whatever is on your mind is something we probably want to talk about. And so keep asking them. Send them our way. Questions at a to z running.com via email or go to a to z running.com slash question and we'll answer on air every week and now for our finale to our series we're going to talk to sarah well here you go to wrap up what has been an incredible experience hearing from all of these different runners about their insights and experiences in the how to train by effort kind of dynamic. We have one final interview here and it's a great one to end the series and then uh, we'll uh, we'll be able to kind of summarize it for you here to wrap it all up. So let's go ahead and start by hearing from Sarah. All right, Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Really glad to have you on today to Talk about your experiences and your training endeavors. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for asking me to be a part of it. Awesome. So I'm, I'm really excited to get some of your perspectives in particular because we've got, um, we've got a number of different things that we've tried to share, as you know, uh, from various athletes and their perspectives. And part of your story includes um, – some of the difficulties, you know, that come with the sport. And um, I'm looking forward to getting into that. But in order for that to make the most sense for our listeners, I think we might want to just kind of back up and, and hear what your running journey has been like. Um, if you could give us kind of like the, the, the quick summary, what's this running thing been for you up to now? Yeah, so I ran my first marathon in 2005. So it's been uh, a long, a long running journey. Um, and obviously, I was a lot younger when I started running and uh, used some pretty generic training plans and ran every run at the same pace, <laughs> essentially, getting faster over time. Um, but essentially, yes, everything at the same pace. Um, and uh ended up, so I've been running for tw uh, about 20 years. Uh, I took a kind of a break when I had kids and then um, started to get back into it and ran um, kind of my first race post kids or first marathon post kids uh, in 
2022 and quickly realized that the generic training plan I had used in the past was not working so well anymore and had a miserable experience. So uh, that uh, led me to working with you and Andy and uh, starting out on this journey of effort-based running. When in a moment like that, if I can ask just a quick, quick follow-up question, um, when things aren't working super well, how do you how do you handle or respond to that state of mind? Um, it's difficult. Runners experience that kind of thing a lot, and right. it's very discouraging, demotivating. What what is that like for you, Sarah? Yeah, I you know I think that's actually something I'm still working on because I can mentally let it get me down. That it, you know I'm not as good at this as I used to be, or this used to work a lot better than it does now. And I start to get down on myself. And then, you know, mentally, it's just, it's it's not a good place to be. So I've, uh, you know, been really working on my mental game alongside of my, you know, gaining physical fitness to, uh, you know, to be able to not spiral down like that when I get frustrated or overwhelmed or things don't go my way. That is really important um, in, two, in two senses. One, for the conversation we're having today, mm-hmm. um, but also I, I, think, I think that the, the level of self-awareness that's important for all of us is we, you know, how, how am I responding to the challenges and um, is that the way I want to be? You know, is, is there something <laughs> I should be adjusting here? Well, thank you for for kind of setting the tone, the stage for um, the next question, Sarah. And and that is, um, as we think about the change which you articulated, you sought something different, and um, and we present to your situation now this idea of effort based approach, um, this idea of trying to become more intuitive with the way we're training, and ultimately with the way we're racing. Uh, in that now experience since we have begun that process with you it has not been smooth the entire time Um, and so as such as you just expressed uh, those disruptions and challenges as they come up Mm -hmm. um, are very challenging on both levels mental and physical i'm curious Mm -hmm. if you could just share how with the way we're trying to go about things how has that interacted with the disruptions as they've come and gone. Yeah. So, um, you know, you're, you're referring to my last like marathon training cycle, which was my Chicago marathon training cycle. And I had a lot of disruptions during that training cycle, a lot more than what I had hoped for or planned for, especially with a big race like Chicago. Um, you know, you're looking forward to it so, so much. And so, um, you know, I, I ignored an injury for a long time because I'm the type of person that um, does what I'm told. So I have a training plan and I'm going to hit every run. I'm going to hit every like length of time and every workout without always listening to my body. So, um, you know, I think what those disruptions have taught me and they've I've learned a lot from those, those disruptions is that, um, you know, I it's a shift in mindset. Right. So the effort base training has helped me to go into it without overdoing it um, and just be confident in the fitness that I'm gaining um, over time and to be to be patient with the process too and just know that even with disruptions, um, you know, I can still have a good race and I can still, um, you know, perform well. 
that's really important. <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> it is, it is possible. And, uh, and at the same time, we know that those things, you know, they have, um, they have an effect on the end result in some sense, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, the physiology, whether it's the, um, the mental toll that it takes mm-hmm. to try to get past that. So mm-hmm. as you have been then kind of trying to wade through those waters of, mm-hmm. um, try, you know, what does it look like to, to pay attention to my body and to take the signs as they are to respond to things, though that's not exactly what's in the plan. Um, what, what have you found in terms of trying to, trying to move that way? Have you found mm-hmm. it to be especially difficult or there certain things that are easier or harder than other things? How's that been? Yeah. So it is a little difficult for me because I like to do, go into things wholeheartedly and do my best, um, and, and perform well and be happy with the performance. So I, you know, just working on, um, you know, my mindset and also just allowing myself to have, to skip a workout if I need to. So, you know, I think I, that injury and, you know, the cold that I had gotten two weeks before that likely was a result of like physically and just mentally and emotionally over, overdone. Like I was, I was, I had just pushed myself too hard and I needed to take a break and I wasn't listening to that. So, you know, as I go into this next season of, of preparing for, um, new races, you know, that's something that, um, I'm going to give myself permission to do and modify when needed. Um, I think Steph talked about that recently on her podcast episode where, um, that she gave herself that permission and she reminds me of that often. So, you know, I'm, I'm working on that, um, right alongside, you know, the rest of the training. It's just as important. It uh, it is, it is. Um, In in some way, Sarah, that is the uh, the kind of foundational to the nature of the approach. Um, Mm -hmm. We're trying to be the runner who knows when I need to do the thing and when I shouldn't do the thing. Right. Uh, and, and kind of whatever, you know, whatever that may entail. Now you just touched on something. And so I'm, I'm interested, this is a caveat to trying to address this kind of a change in ourselves, which is um, what role can other people play in helping mm-hmm. us move that direction? So you mentioned Steph as um, a kind of running friend slash teammate slash co-conspirator in the, the challenges <laughs> of the training. So there's that layer. There certainly is, you know, your coaches and um, yeah. how does that tend to work and support? But also, if I may, your husband is right. along for this journey in a similar capacity as uh, he's working through it himself, too. So all of these layers, what does it look like for other people to be involved in helping us pursue it better? I think they can keep us honest, right? Like so many times, you know, well, with my husband, obviously we talk, we get to talk about running with each other all the time. Um, and then, you know, Steph being a running friend that I run with often, um, you know, we're, we're, we're checking in on our runs We're that's our time to catch up and to chat. And, um, you know, we're, we're hearing not only about like, Hey, how's the training going? How's the running going? But also like what's also going on in our lives. And so, um, you know, I feel like having those types of people in your life that can really just say like, Hey, I think, you know, maybe take a break or, you know, maybe you should modify or, you know, just, um, get really honest with us about where we're at and kind of what we should, (laughs) should or should not be doing. (laughs) 
Yeah. And how, how good when, um, you kind of understand together the thing you're aspiring toward, um, and can speak into that in that sense. Uh, recently on the podcast, Craig shared, um, one of his challenges in this area of social running where he was expressing how, um, it's hard to truly execute an effort-based run with other people because you may or may not be feeling like you should be doing the thing you're doing in that moment, but the person next to you is going to be feeling very differently, likely, right? Um, so in that sense, there's, there's, is more to that than just, the physiology in that experience too, where that other person is something more for us in that moment as well. That, that's right. profound. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I, I don't know, I think it was Andy that said it on a podcast once and it stuck with me. Like when you're running with someone else, one of you is not running what you're supposed to be running. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes those, you know, running friends, I always say like, you go deep, fast with when you're on a run and I don't it's maybe because you don't have any other distractions you're both there doing the same thing and you have a certain amount of time where you can just chat and I I don't know I cherish those runs where I I do get a chance because I do so many runs on my own I cherish those times when I can can do it with a friend (laughs) yeah that's that's exactly it I, I appreciate it and um you know we we do often talk about that in truth, efforts are a range. It's not a very yeah. precise thing. And yeah. so some days, if I'm a little bit farther to the upper end of easy, yeah. or if I'm running with someone and it pushes me a little bit further to the lower end of easy, that's fine. It's not, you're not, you're not harming something because it's just a little bit slower, or a little bit faster. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Well, okay. So the one other layer in particular that I really want to be able to dig into a bit here for you, Sarah, is um, when you, when you are coming in and out of disruptions, um, the mindset tends to change a little bit. And so you, you certainly intimated like for your purposes, the idea of, you know, I want to follow the plan such as it is. Um, but the other side of that is the plan changes. And so you could, you could say, you know, I can do exactly what my coach is telling me to do and we'll put right on paper, uh, adjustments on account of a disruption. We'll, we'll do that. Yes. However, um, it's no longer, and you understand this, when you look at it, you say, well, that's not what I would be doing if I hadn't had the disruption or if I mm-hmm. you know, were totally healthy right now, it would look differently. Um, when you know that you have to, that the, the process is gradual, we can't have what we want in the moment. Um, and that kind of, especially when, when we have performances looming and things like that, which was the situation you found yourself in mm-hmm. most recently, um, how do you still address the, with fidelity, the thing you should be doing as opposed to what we may be tempted to want to do otherwise? Yeah. I mean, I, you just have to get real honest with yourself about where, where you're at in that moment, moment and be patient and trust the process. You know, I, I asked, I think at one point for a harder, longer workout and I was told no, (laughs) or, Hey, let's try this instead. And actually, you know, of course it was the right thing to do. Um, but you know, I've, I've just really had 
to be learn to be patient. Um, you know, and I think even when I first started effort-based training, I was like, I don't know, I just am getting slower because all I do is run slow. <laughs> and, you know, I was reminded that that's a common, you know, common thing. Like actually, yeah, you probably are getting slower, but it's only for a short period of time. And then you're going to start to, you know, gain <laughs> a little more speed. So. Yeah. And that's, you said it, you know, trusting, trusting the process in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing that there's times and places for different elements right. in that process. And so mm-hmm. even like the, well, I'd, I'd actually kind of want to dwell on this for just a moment longer. Uh, you asked for a thing and the coach said, mm, that's not the thing you need. Um, now we understand that the coach can be wrong also. Um, you, you know, you certainly know how you're feeling in a given moment and the runner who truly is trying to pursue an, an intuitive approach is going to have at times a sense like I should, I could do something differently than what's on paper here because I can mm-hmm. tell based on how I'm feeling and, and kind of what's been going on, um, mm-hmm. potentially. Right. So mm-hmm. how do you, how do you navigate a conversation with your coach where it's, I think I want this thing and my coach disagrees how do we justify that moment? Decide who's right, decide who's wrong, how to pursue Right. Yeah. Well, and, you know, we ended up meeting in the middle. And I think, you know, at the time I was looking at Ben's plan, right? And I was like, well, he's running um, more studies like than I am. I'm only going to get one steady long run in and I feel like I should get more steady long runs in, right? Like to be prepared. And, you know, Andy was like, well, instead of, you know, doing a steady long run, let's just extend the time of your long run. And so, um, and still keep the pace down. And that ended up being the right thing. And, um, you know, she, re- we, it, I felt, felt like we kind of met in the middle, right? She listened and heard that I was wanting a little bit more that I had been feeling really good on my long runs and mentally just wanted a little bit longer time out, um, you know, on my long run, just to, to mentally prepare myself for being out for that longer marathon distance. And so, yeah, I, you know, I, I felt like it was a really good conversation and I felt like I was heard for sure. And I think that that helped and, you know, we, we got to debrief right afterwards and, and it was the right way to go. So I appreciated that. (laughs) That's, that's huge. But so it, it, there's, there's some layers here, just kind of in summary of the few aspects of it that you've shared. Um, there's a one side of it where it's, you know, I want to, uh, I want to be true to the plan and I want to mm-hmm. follow the plan. Um, and there's a couple of different layers to that. There's another side of it where it's, you know, the goal of this whole thing is really that I am true to what I need, which mm-hmm. may not be what's on the plan. Um, and then at the same time, there's, you know, my coach who's a person. And so now, you know, if, if I do something one way or the other, what's the conversation like there and how do we get the most out of the, so I, you know, I, I'm, as I'm kind of just summarizing that in my head, Sarah, I'm thinking, um, th- this, this is what probably what makes it so difficult ultimately for so many of us is mm-hmm. it's not so much a, an approach with, find the right answers. It's an approach <laughs> with figure out what are the possible answers right now in this moment. Yeah. And at some point you got to go with something depending on yeah. <laughs> all of that stuff. So yeah. if, if you are, if you're willing, just kind of react to that in a, in closing thoughts, how do you feel about that as, as a, some of the layers of complexity here? Yeah. You know, I, I think, I, I've just learned, you know, I've, I'm only 
not even a year into this um, training program and way of training. And, you know, I think I've learned so much and I still have yet have so much yet to learn. And so I do think that there's a lot of layers of complexity and at times, you know, it's, you know, we may not agree on what, what we should be doing that day. And, um, you know, I've just really appreciated the conversation and also, you know, just a lot of the podcast episodes have really helped me too. I, there's a lot of time spent out, um, on runs and it's been good to kind of hear, um, you know, your fear, like just the process of, of it all. And so, um, and the different kind of sections of the training program. And so that's been really helpful for me. And, you know, I just hope to continue to <laughs> keep learning because I don't think we ever get to the point of, you know, okay, we've arrived, right? Like you want to always keep learning and keep growing and keep, you know, meeting your goals or beating your goals. So. so true. So true. And it may just be a little bit of job security for the coaches as well, right? Yes, <laughs> definitely. No, <laughs> no, no. Our, our goal, well, we always say it, you know, our goal as coaches is not to make an athlete dependent upon us. Our goal is to equip the athlete. And ultimately, if you're doing your job well in that scenario, it's the same thing as a teacher. If you're doing your job well, then you have an expiration date with that person. Right. You get to a point where, well, that's not exactly the right way to say it because there's other reasons why you have a coach potentially. But there's, there's a point where the, the coach has brought the athlete to as much of, um, as, as much of a, a sense of the thing as uh, we can together come to. Um, and, then it, and then it becomes a journey of, of you know, more side-by-side, side, figure the thing out. And that's sure, it. yep. Yeah, and I've appreciated that for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your, your time, your experiences, um, and, and just your willingness to be vulnerable. You know, it's not, it's not been all uh, flowery fields and sunshine. Um, and yet, we know that there's been some, some really important moments in there. And it speaks to, I, I certainly believe and hope, a, a potential and future progress as well in the whole yes. thing. Yeah, thank you. It was great to chat with you today. Sarah, thanks again. Thank you. Much appreciate your time. Much appreciate your thoughts and ideas. And if there were if there were two things that we just wanted to kind of dwell on briefly in reflection from that conversation, the one is um, how important it is, as Sarah brought up, like the interaction with us as her coaches um, is not just this linear binary experience where it's like we say to do something and you go do it and then you report back and it's just that all the time. And it's, it's much more engaging and interactive than that. And she gave an example of that where there's a situation in her training where it's like, this is something that I feel like I kind of want to do. And it's different than what you guys are recommending. And I'm not sure how I feel about what you're recommending. Let's talk about it. And we came to together in this conversation, a different suggestion. It wasn't just do what we say and we don't really care what you think. Um, now I will say sometimes the recommendation is no, we still think you should do this thing, uh, but it's it's a more informed discussion now because we have more to talk about with the athletes' thoughts as well. And then there's other times where we completely change the recommendation because of the athletes' experience and some of the things that uh, they're sharing. So thank you, Sarah, for being mm -hmm. willing to, to share that thought and talk about it a little bit. Um, it's great. Um, and as well, if I can just kind of conclude our series of interviews with your comments, Sarah, I think it was a great summarizing statement. Um, 
there's there's not really like this this destination that is you know we've arrived when we get to this point as runners we know this but um it's perhaps even more poignant within the training approach that we're trying to make we we have we're we're always growing and we should always expect to continue growing until the day we can't do the thing anymore and then and then we're growing in different ways too but um that's the mindset and we always appreciate that mindset because um it's a difficult road as runners and training by effort means that we're becoming more intuitive and that's kind of what intuition lends itself towards is that there are variables an infinite amount of variables in our lives as we grow and we change and we get older and life circumstances change we're continually learning our new set of circumstances and evaluating those and learning how to continue to adjust to serve the purpose of our training. It's a really cool thing because we are continuously on a journey because our set of circumstances is always changing and we need to be able to adapt in order to thrive. And case in point that that, while as Andy said, it's an infinite set of circumstances, at the same time, it's also very predictable. And that's one that's of the too. keys of the whole thing is you establish a kind of foundation within this mindset, within this approach, that can then cope with any circumstance. Right. Fundamentally. Now, granted, there's always there's always unexpected and unpredictable things in life. Uh, but if that's the case, we want to wrap the whole thing up here. I think with, as I promised in our in our teaser intro, the most succinct depiction of this concept with as much clarity as we can provide. What is the foundation that you as a runner want to build to be able to be successful here in all circumstances, at all levels. We're talking about now, you could be a pro runner aiming for the world record, or you could be a first time 5K runner, or you could be someone who's done this for 10 years and then life threw wrenches and you couldn't do it for years and now you're back doing it and like everything in between, right? Here are the things. This is the foundation. First, deliberate execute exertion. Deliberate exertion meaning that I know how much effort I am giving and how much is available to me to give. And I'm trying to grow that knowledge. So deliberate exertion is like measuring success. Laura was talking about this in her interview, measuring success by the effort um, given, not measuring success by what a watch says or by what some race result is. Um, or even how much effort is given. It's by giving the correct, the effort. right, the, the right. And that's so Pete was talking about that too. the purpose of the efforts and knowing what that is and how to achieve it so that every day when I am doing the thing, when I'm out training, it's deliberate. I'm intentionally going this easy today because that's the thing that's going to move me forward or even further still, um, we'll, we'll come back to this in a moment, but like taking a day off instead of running may in fact be the right kind of thing to do as a runner that day. Um, and, and there's just this, this sense of trial and error in all of this stuff. Um, and that's, we say deliberate. Um, we don't always, it's not always correct. It's not always the right move in terms of that deliberate exertion. So we learn from that to be more informed the next time and, and always trying to move that direction. So that's one, two, confounding effects. This is perhaps one of the most important aspects of what we do as we coach athletes, which is helping to understand what external and internal factors are changing 
the net results of the things I'm doing. And Which is what I had mentioned earlier as yes. all of the sets of circumstances that you'll be running into. Yes. And so that's that's where if I understand, I, I know what makes a difference, good or bad, on me as a runner, and I know how I'm feeling and what that may produce as a result of these kinds of things. So that's where we were talking about the influence of other people. And Craig brought this up in his interview. It was it was very uh, a very important reflection that um, – uh, what other people around us are doing has an effect. And we're actually going to talk about a study <laughs> related to that later in uh, this episode, in fact. Um, but the influence of things like weather conditions and the sleep, hydration, nutrition cycle and how that's affecting me and what I'm doing. But also we've talked so much about stress and anxiety and life pressure and how that affects my physiology mm-hmm. in, in it manifests in measurable effects in my physiology. That's incredible. So all of those confounding effects are then a factor in the stuff that I'm doing as a runner. And I should always be attentive to that fact. Never do anything in a given day without some sense of whether there are things like that affecting me in that moment. It goes back to then that first point, deliberate exertion. Depending on what those confounding factors are, I make different kinds of choices. And then that brings me to the final point, which is kind of the summarizing, uh, the underscoring of all of this, intuitive decisions. So that based on those confounding effects, based on the understanding, the purpose, and my my choices in terms of exertion, I make those choices intuitively. I know when I am ready to go hard. I know when I am not. I know when I am ready to or need to rest. I know when I can uh, exert all that kinds of things. That was from Steph. In the first episode of the series. Great way to start it off. Or of our interviews, I should say. Yes. Um, and there's and there's just so there's so much involved in that. But when it comes down to it, um, you you start running and you're you're it's not a moment like when I woke up in the morning, I knew what I should do that day. That may that may be the case. Um, but sometimes I wake up in the morning and I think I know what I can handle that day. Uh, but I'm not running until the afternoon and things happened at work or with family and life. And uh, now it's not quite the same, right? So so I'm adjusting. And maybe that, maybe that's the fourth thing. We were ta- Andy and I were talking about there's there's something else here that maybe that's the fourth thing, which is this agility, mm. this sense of I am never committed to a thing until it's done. It, it just simply I'm never fully committed to what's happening as a, as a runner in my training until it is done. So I could be halfway into a steady effort run with all the sense that this is exactly what I should be doing, but something changes halfway in. Something about how I'm feeling. So, well, okay, I'll give you an example. I was running a fartlek run, um, just just spontaneous fartleks. Uh, The other day, it was like four days ago, depending on when you're listening to this, who knows exactly when that was, but uh, very recently as I'm talking about this. And I... And so as a spontaneous workout, even more so the case, I have no plan about how long I'm going to go hard eat for each acceleration. I just start going and kind of see how I'm feeling. And, and as it goes, then I decide when I'm ready to stop. And then I might go harder or easier the next one. Well, I'm partway into the workout. I'm actually just over halfway because it was an out and back route. So I turned around and I'm just over halfway. And something in my ankle just suddenly is not feeling quite right. And I've had chronic Achilles problems and I know that there's all sorts of different signs and they're never consistent. 
And so I was like, is this one of those? Maybe it is. So I immediately pulled the plug and just started jogging. And then I stopped and stretched for a moment because I was like, yeah, who knows? Who knows exactly what I was feeling? So I stopped and stretched for a minute and then continued jogging. And as it turns out, I felt great. And so then I totally changed the plan and accelerated again. And then I started to feel a little bit more fatigued than I thought I was going to. And so I just called the whole workout after that. But the point is, in within a five-minute span, I was completely ready to can the workout and jog home at you know whatever the slowest possible jog is I could do to avoid aggravating anything. I was also ready to completely restart everything and feeling great or just can the workout and run easy. Like All those things happened within about a five-minute span. And none of that would have been predictable when I started the workout. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just you agility is the key. You have to be ready to change what you're doing at all times based on those other factors. Yeah. And a lot of it is a, like a mental piece of it, too, because in regards to what you're saying, like we don't really know until it's done, right? So for instance, if you wake up feeling bad, I'm going to throw the opposite direction. You feel, you get up, you feel bad, but your run is scheduled for the afternoon. And I don't think you should automatically scrap your run plans in the afternoon because you could feel much, much better after you have done all the things of the day, your body has moved, you've had all your, you know, had food and there's a million things, right? Because I've actually had very successful races when I think and I feel the morning I wake up, like it's not going to be a good day. Like my body doesn't feel great, but then I end up having great races. So not counting it out. So there's, it's both directions. Cause I think a lot of times when people hear us talk about our approach, they think, oh, they just like, you just don't do as much hard stuff or something. Uh, I'm not really sure. What they, just, they just tell you to run easy all the time. Mm, no, no. No, well, there are proper the efforts to give. But then it is too, like we do prefer that someone is on the careful side though. So that is something that we do suggest to people. But it's both ways and being open to listening to your body when your run is scheduled. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess one final illustration on that point is it goes back to my most recent uh, marathon personal best when I ran that race. And after the fact, um, a one friend in particular, you know, asks me, he says, well, do you, did you know, like, did you know that you were capable of that performance? And my answer is actually in, in full transparency, I did not believe myself capable of anything beyond a pretty typical mediocre for me, like middle range of my experiences marathon because of how I was feeling because of how training was going, all those kinds of things. Um, but I didn't once look at a watch the entire race. Uh, Okay. Yes. At mile 24, I did look at the watch. Okay. So until mile 24 of 26, I did not look at a watch and, um, and there's a very good chance I would have done things a bit differently if I would have known how fast we were running in especially around the midway point because at midway through the race i thought well i'm feeling decent enough and i should try to see if i could pick it up because there's a guy way up ahead of me way ahead of me at the time and i wanted to see if i could catch him i could see him just enough to know that i had some visual contact and i don't know that i don't know if i would have made that same choice if i would have known oh actually you're, you're kind of running quite a bit faster than you've ever run before in a marathon and so maybe it's not a good idea to pick it up halfway through the race right um so there's there's that you know, there's that side of it. Like, don't don't limit yourself and what you're doing because you think that you maybe aren't capable of a thing. Um, you, you'd have to be ready to adapt, be agile in all those senses. And there's there's so much more that can be said 
Um, but we, we, we are, we, we have these guiding kind of fundamental principles. We're always saying to our athletes and Andy mentioned one of them, you know, if, if I'm going to be successful in these things, uh, always better to err on the side of too easy than too hard. Cause that means that tomorrow I'm more likely to be able to go again. Whereas on the other side, I might not. And so better to go too easy than too hard long-term that's going to be, give me better success. And then at the same time, in a similar sense, also as our kind of our other main guiding principle, as we're talking with athletes is that you should always, um, you should always have a sense of how I am feeling and how much I should be able to exert and just make your deliberate choices. We were saying earlier, based on that sense all the time. And so it, you know, better to scrap the watch entirely. If you don't want to scrap the watch, don't let the watch make decisions for you. Um, don't, it's get rid of the external influences as best as you can. I, I know we've talked about this quite a bit, but I just want to put just another thing about the steady runs being uncomfortable in knowing how much you can live in the uncomfortable is also a really important thing because it's not just like feeling like I'm always going to be feeling good, right? That's not what it means because you are absolutely going to work hard, but knowing what the signals mean for you physiologically. So we talked through Steve Magnus's book, there are different signals of your body. There are warning signs and signals and being able to discern between discomfort and not feeling motivated and what are actual signals that you're supposed to maybe slow down a little bit and have. And I think all of that comes with learning to identify while you're in training. And this is what we're developing as we're looking at becoming a more intuitive runner. That's exactly it. So we have to at least say at this point in time, if these things sound intriguing to you or if they're very confusing to you and either way, you'd like to talk with us more about these kinds of thoughts, whether you're interested in pursuing these types of training approaches yourself or you have questions, you can always you know throw the questions at us and we'll put them on the podcast because we love to do that. But reach out, you know, certainly check out our information and our services. If that's an angle that you want to pursue, you can learn anything you need to know about how we work and, and what the services are like by going to a to Z running.com slash coaching or contact us directly. And, and we're happy to start a conversation. Mm -hmm. Well, let's get on now to the world of running. We have some interesting things to share with you in the world of running. Not, well, they're always interesting, right? But these are atypical for us. Um, less going on in terms of like people running races these days because, you know, Christmas and holiday season. Uh, but as it were, we wanted to grab some of the stuff that we've been wanting to share and haven't had a lot of time to in the very recent past. So we're going to do just that, starting with number one, willpower and the marshmallow test. So is anyone familiar with the? Are you familiar with the marshmallow test? I read the interview. But, are, so. but is that familiar? Are you, do you know about no, that test? No, I didn't test? know about oh, that. Oh, yes. No. It's so interesting. Okay. So this one shared by the Growth EQ guys, that's Steve Magnus and Brad Stahlberg. Um, they were referencing, this test comes back to like the 1970s. And, and what they did is they took kids, they put them in a room with a marshmallow on a table and, and a video camera. And they said to the kids, you can eat that marshmallow whenever you want but if you wait until we come back we'll give you two you can have that plus another one all right and then they would leave the room they didn't leave for terribly long 
But then, and then the video camera was going. And I tell you what, the stuff that some of these kids did, just hilarious. But as you might guess, they drew some interesting conclusions. And what these researchers, the original researchers did, that I find to be the most interesting, is they then followed the test participants for years, like through their life. And just were tracking the various different things like SAT scores, um, BMI indexes, like just random stuff about the people. And they found that on the whole, the student, sorry, the student, they were kids. The kids who resisted the first marshmallow to get two later consistently demonstrated higher scores and test results. Uh, better measures of self-discipline and self-control across a number of factors, including things like healthy life choices and uh, fitness and activity levels and like all sorts of things. Um, they even had some some job numbers related to some of this stuff. And so all of that were, was to show, okay, it's clear that there was a link, a correlation at least, between that early year's willpower and just general self-discipline in life, right? Well, it gets more interesting from there because apparently, and I don't know exactly when this happened because social media and I have absolutely no relationship, so I don't know what happens on it. But apparently this is something that people have started to do again or did recently and, and shared it on social media. So parents would take their kids and just do the marshmallow test, put a camera in front of them, put a marshmallow there, leave the room and see if they ate it when they came back or not. And the stuff, so you thought that the original 1970s study was funny when you watched the footage, the stuff that you see some of these kids doing, like, you know, anything at all they can to resist eating that marshmallow. Some of them are pretty clever. Like, you know, sometimes a kid would like take a can and put it over the marshmallow, like hide the marshmallow. Smart kid, right? Or sometimes they would just try to distract themselves and go like dance around in the room, singing songs, like just, you know, wild and crazy. But the point is, Magnus, in his reflection on this study particularly is there's more to it than just this idea of self-discipline willpower delayed gratification and here's where we find some of the interesting stuff going on so now we add some layers in the studies take three groups three test groups and do something like this for test group a give them a toy so you can play with the slinky while you wait right test group b tell them to think about other activities to do so while you wait, just think about other things you could do. And if you want to sing a song, dance, you know, play games with yourself, whatever, right? And then test group C, nothing. Just tell them to do the thing or not do the thing and wait till we get back. Well, as you might guess, the students who were given the student, they were kids. The kids who were given a strategy were way more successful than the kids who were not. And certain strategies more than others. The kids given a single toy less so than the kids told to think about more activities to do. Now, they did another one, ABC test here. This time, A, the these kids were told to think about things that make you happy, B, think about things that make you sad, and C, they were told to focus on the treat. <laughs> now, what's interesting is the kids who are told to focus on the treat were still more successful than the kids who weren't told any strategies at all and just said, you know, wait, and you can get two. So given any kind of strategy, kids are more likely to prolong the, eating the marshmallow. But then, as you might guess, the kids told to think about happy things waited way longer, way like double the time than the kids told to think about sad things. And the kids told to think about sad things were only marginally more successful 
than the ones who weren't. So now we get like just fascinating layers. And here's Magnus's conclusion on this study specifically and the multiple layers is he says that strategies matter when we are equipped with different kinds of ways to deal with this willpower situation, self-discipline situation, we are more likely to be successful. So we can tell you things on this podcast, like go uh, be disciplined in your schedule, like create a schedule and be disciplined and follow it. Make sure you do the thing, right? We, we say all the time, successful runners um, don't have to be like, there's not one particular training approach that you have to have. Now we recommend one and we feel like it's definitely producing greater amounts of success than others. But at the same time, the, the underlying principle is consistent training, uh, consistent implementation of quality training over time. That's the recipe for success as a runner. Whatever you're doing in the different details only makes some difference, but consistent over time. And so we could say that to you and you know that you will be successful. And yet you're not likely to do it any better or worse than when we didn't say it to you unless we start giving you strategies. How should you be consistent? Andy was saying with the cold running earlier, all these strategies, that's great because we could tell you run in the dark and the cold because it will make you better. But that's not going to help you at all. What will help you is all the, all the ideas and strategies. We like it. Well, it gets even more interesting because then Magnus starts applying this to high-level runners and they discover that um, runners, uh, especially highly successful competitors, uh, tend to have a large a plethora of coping strategies to deal with the discomfort uh, that you experience when you're running, right? And they're agile with those strategies. They move between them. They adapt. If something's not working, they change the strategy. Now, he's just talking about in the midst of a race or in a training experience. Uh, but over the, you know, over the course of like large quantities of time, not just in single instances, it gets even more valuable. It makes me think about Nate Martin's quote, find a huh. way. Hmm. Remember that one? I do. Yeah. I like that because it's like, okay, these are things that are maybe barriers to me getting to my goal, but I'm going to find another strategy. I'm going to find a way. Yep. Yep. That's right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that it comes down to this idea that um, you learn to focus on the right things, develop dynamic strategies, and, and, and in principle, where my focus and attention is more intelligently uh targeted then i can i have a better chance of success well that why wouldn't we do that right that's where we get all those like this goal setting stuff you know how <laughs> what's the stat on new year's resolutions again oh it's, it's crazy dismal. how many of you are going to have new year's <laughs> resolutions on january 1st and not be any more uh, consistently following them by february 1st the answer is most most mm. and that's only one month out of the year well that's why goal setting and self-help books have been so valuable. If you could write a goal setting book that someone else hasn't written yet, you're going to make money. I have just, this is not a real theory. It's just a thought. <laughs> I was going to call it a theory, but it's just a thought. If you start whatever you're planning to do as your New Year's resolution now, I have a feeling that you're more likely to succeed. Whenever you think this would be a good thing for me to do, as soon as you think that thought, make a plan and start doing it instead of waiting because i think that that ends up being procrastination mm. and then it's not as sustainable later because it's like it's it's this thing that you put off 
and like it's not something that you chose to implement right away it wasn't I don't know. Just a thought. But at the same time, we go back to strategies, right? Be intelligent about these things. Statistically, we are more likely to stick with a thing if we start it at what feels like a natural new beginning. Okay. Well, then that's exactly opposite Which, of what I just said. <laughs> not to say that Andy's wrong. <laughs> Andy's right in a different sense. But the point remains that there's a reason why January 1st of the, the you know the first of the year is natural for starting something new. Uh, because it already feels like a new beginning. By the way, this year we have January 1st happening on a Monday, which is by itself even more likely to generate success because a Monday is the beginning of the week for most people. Um, and so as it amounts to, you know, find the new beginnings. But but that's also the best time to recommit to something. So you should have built into your New Year's resolution approach the idea of every Monday it's a recommitment to that resolution. And so even if you were failing last week, in some sense, this week you start that commitment over again. And if you could do that every single Monday, you're gonna last even longer. Mm, Same like thing it. at the beginning of the month each month. You get a reset. Even if I wasn't successful in the entire month of January, which statistically you should be able to at least make it through January, but you might not. And so you start over again on February 1st and, and that's, you get the point. Strategies matter. That's mm. the conclusion. And I could go on and on because there's a whole bunch of implications with education and some of the different studies that they've done about teaching focusing techniques and effort techniques. You know, if you tell someone to try hard or if you tell someone to do this thing to try hard, they're going to be more successful with that strategy. Oh, for sure. Right. I'm 100% one of those people. I loved direction. Well, like, yeah. Okay, Andy, lift your heels through the weeds. Okay. <laughs> Like, I can do that. But if they were to say try harder, I'd be like, I am trying. You know? Yeah. Push up the hill or drive your knees up the hill. Yes. That's Those are much two better. different things mm -hmm. that are the desire is the same as the end result, but you're going to be more successful with one Absolutely. versus the other. Absolutely. All right. So that was good. But now we've got a little bit more of Steve Magnus because that was, that was a great article. But now. Uh, we wanted to go to some, a couple of studies and these aren't directly related, but they are associated and I'm going to make the connection for you because it's fascinating. Um, so if you're not familiar with it, Steve Magnus does a monthly or so science digest where he just says, here are a bunch of studies that I've been reading on recently and some things that I found interesting. It's great. Um, if you go to our, uh, if, if you go to our website, we have links to his science digest as well in uh, our blog posts and our articles because you know, they're great. So, um, you can you can find a study recently shared by Magnus about uh, the effects that other people have on us. And, and this was curious. So here's what the study did was they took uh, soccer players, which for those of you outside of the United States may also be called football. Very uh, reasonably so <laughs> since you play with your feet. And uh, in in this particular study, they were kicking penalty kicks which if you're not familiar, means it's just one player standing on the line kicking at the goalie who is standing in front of the goal. There's no defenders. There's no, you just stand there, kick the ball, see if you can score it. Well, you can run up to it and kick it. But anyway, so they're kicking penalty kicks. And they, the study was they had some of the players visibly celebrate after their kick and others not. And it was things like lifting two arms in the air or, you know, like really simple directed celebrations. Okay. And here's what they found. And you might not be surprised by this. After a player celebrates a successful penalty kick, teammates reported 
higher feelings of positive energy, you know, the good vibes, as well as they were more likely to also kick successful penalty kicks. So it wasn't just that they felt better, but their performance improved. Opponents felt negative feelings increase and were more likely to unsuccessfully kick penalty kicks because their opponents were celebrating visibly. So interesting. So interesting. So here now we have the the reality of this idea that, yes, it is obviously true that the energy of the people around us affects us, but also our it's relative to our relationship to the person. So if I am in opposition to the person who is experiencing positive things, then I experience even more negative things. And so this goes to this whole principle of like, if I feel bitterness or resentment toward a person, their success makes me feel even more mm. bitterness or resentment. Like this is really difficult stuff. Can I share something All that's right. kind of embarrassing? I feel like I've maybe shared this on the podcast before. Two things in regards to this that okay. makes it all make sense to me personally. So sometimes when I'm running and it gets lonely in road running, wouldn't you agree? Like there's not a lot of people cheering if it's not a world major. That's You're just running like a marathon by yourself. And I don't know. I will like ask for people to cheer for me, not say it yeah, out that's loud, embarrassing. but I'll smile at them and I'll like wait. She does that whole like lift her hands in the air. No, like, come I on. I don't do that. I just, but I'll like smile and wave. And my purpose in smiling and waving is to get that positive feedback back to see them smile and wave at me. Cause it makes like, it makes me happier. It makes me feel better. And I know that sounds weird. <laughs> Cause it's like asking for attention, I guess, but I guess I don't know. Like that is something that has, I've noticed has helped me in a race when I'm feeling bad is when I make eye contact with people and smile and they smile back at me or they wave or they cheer. Well, we have shared with you in the past on the podcast, that study with the cyclists who reported, not reported, they, they measured higher maximum performance output if they were smiling. Yeah. All they did is just tell them to smile or not smile and you guessed it. They performed better when they were smiling. But this is the a second layer of that exactly. is the reciprocal smile. The reciprocal smile makes me feel better. If I see someone else smiling, I do. And yep. now it makes sense seeing this study. Another thing that I do that's a little embarrassing to share in a podcast is that when I hear people cheering. Oh, I no, no. Don't talk about this one. Don't do it. I pretend they're cheering for me. Oh, man. So like if they're yelling for like, you know, they're cheering like, go Caitlin, go Caitlin. I'm like, yeah, I'm Andy and you're cheering. It's a weird thing. To, it's weird. I know it's weird, but I just imagine that that energy is also for me. I have nothing to say. Nothing <laughs> at all to say right now. But I do think in general like that, that positivity, that framework that like, like people are for you, not against you. Like even in my racing, my best races are when I'm like, this competitor is making me better. Like I'm so glad that they're here with me because I'm going to have a better performance because they're with me. And instead of seeing them as uh, a threat, I see them as an asset and Dakota Linworm also was talking about this when she came on the show and she does the same exact thing. The more you're able to see things for your benefit, the better off you're going to be mentally to be able to achieve your goal. But even more so, if you're doing that with your opponents and competitors around you and you're visibly 
demonstrating those positive vibes, chances are they don't feel the same way about you, and then you'll actually be harming them. Oh, I don't want to harm even them. Even better. I don't want to harm them. Now you have a competitive We're all edge. winning. Yeah, nope. <laughs> nope. Not everyone. Not all the time. All right. Well, anyway, so that was interesting, right? That was that was a fascinating study, and you can see uh, the, the certainly the implications. So now this next one, and this, again, these are not really related, but um, I, there are some associations here. But the next one was about self-talk now. So clearly the connection between like if I if I have positive demonstrations, it helps improve my performance and other people's positive stuff makes me feel more positive. So now you can see like there is some association here. But anyway, the self-talk side of things um, can also be a, pool, a tool for positive outcomes. Here was the study. They watched a bunch of tennis matches. And then the studiers with the players watch the matches after the fact. And then uh, those who were in them re reported a number of things like rated their emotional experiences, rated their self-talk and what, what, they, what was happening in their self-talk and stuff during the matches. Okay, so here's what they found as they were reviewing things is that those who reported deliberate self-talk, which they were calling um, goal-oriented, self-talk hmm. and spontaneous self-talk which is uh, more emotional hmm. reactionary self-talk um, those who enacted a kind of combination of those things saw more consistent performance gains and what they were trying to really identify here is you know, if you are just kind of reactionary, like your self-talk is just in response to your emotions and what's happening, um, that spontaneous self-talk is good in the sense that it creates some kind of emotional awareness. Um, but by itself, it actually harms performance if that's all there is. So then you couple that with deliberate, like goal-oriented self-talk that now is, um, I'm basically like, telling myself how it's got to be and reminding myself and of the, the way things, things like to do. Yes, but they're, they're being more specific to how you're talking to yourself about your performances, mm. not not uh, conceptual mantras. So in that sense, um, that you are then orienting your performance more appropriately. Two thoughts here. The first is they actually, th there's there's an aspect of this that is a... Um, a developmental psychology strategy for children, especially who have struggled with emotional uh, function, uh, more like regulation. <laughs> That's the word I was looking for. So uh, what they do is they say, okay, so in this situation, something happened, a student has an outburst or an explosion or something like that. And they, when they talk to them about it, they then ask the student to talk about the situation from someone else's perspective not I, me statements, but he, her statements or, or, but from about myself. So I'm calling myself in third person. Okay. Now, why do they do that? Because it's less emotional. It actually detaches us from the emotional state somewhat. Um, not, not perfectly, but again, you want both, right? You want the awareness of the emotion, but you also want to be able to then detach yourself from it and speak into it. So that's the combination here. Um, and then the, the final connection, now we bring it back to like kind of our sport in a sense. Remember recent world championships and Olympics as you've been watching them, especially the field events, uh, because you just have more FaceTime uh, with for the camera where people aren't, you know, in an active state of pain. <laughs> um, 
how much they are talking to themselves. A like, lot, yeah. And this is this is a recent development. It certainly has always been the case to some degree with individuals here and there. But now, you basically, if you see any high jumper, long jumper, you know, pole vaulter, they're about ready to, to jump, they're talking to themselves. Every single one of them, pretty much. And what what are they doing? They're doing this in practice. Yeah. It's no surprise that sports psychology has been examining this concept with clarity yeah. in the last several years and realizing the value, not just not just the value, but potentially the imperative need to have this deliberate self-talk because the rest of it, the spontaneous stuff, that's going to happen. You're going to have an emotional experience in reaction to what's going on in performance. But can you then also? Yeah, it's curious. But I, I don't I'm not I'm not so sure about doing that thing out loud for the whole world to see. Who cares? It still strikes me as just a little bit odd. Yeah. When we're just watching this person carry on this conversation. <laughs> I don't mind it. Who are they talking to? I actually try to like say lip dub them and it's very entertaining. So yep. if you want another entertaining element. <laughs> That's different. That is very funny. <laughs> but anyway, the point is uh do that. That's the point. I love it. Well, we're going to briefly do a world of running piece of news that we missed in a previous week on December 7th. I believe this was published. A 24 hour world record was broken for the women's side of things. The event was the 2023 IAU 24 hour world championships in Taipei. Miho Nataka of Japan set the new 24-hour world record of 170 or sorry 167.996 miles. I would say that's about 168 miles. <laughs> 996. You got around to the thousand. Wow, that's that's really specific. Well, if you want to break a world record in that event, you only have to break it by one one thousandth. That's very yeah. That's very accurate. Okay. Five five feet. <laughs> Camille Heron was the previous record holder of the USA, and Nataka only beat her record by 246 meters. Okay. So tight. And yep. Nataka pretty much did this by herself. Um, and so it it was really nice. Camille Heron gave her some props of the <laughs> the mental strength and fortitude that it takes to break a record alone, which Camille would know. <laughs> And Heron didn't have a great day. She dropped out at 142K. Just, oh, she was in the race. She was. Uh, so that's just under 12 hours into the competition, which I still think is phenomenal. But, you know, it's Camille Heron. So we have expectations for, you know, podiums and world records and all that jazz. She hadn't fully recovered. This is what she said from the effort of winning and breaking the court course record at the Spartathlon in Greece. So, she and, just had to remind people of that. In the, well, she has I'm just been not going fully hard. recovered from that last great thing I did. <laughs> okay. Well, she's been doing a lot of great things. So it's sure. been a thrill to watch her. But then also to see someone else edge her out barely making it, you know, it's not it's not going to be crazy for Camille to go after it again. So this brings some friendly competition to perhaps the the light in the future so i think okay. that'll be good briefly on the men's side alexander is that how you say his name alexander sorokin sorokin is yep. alexander yes that's spelled differently okay well that's because he's from a different country yeah lithuanian he <laughs> won so yes. which he does he does that a lot all the time yep yep he went 301.790 k 
that's a lot of K's. Yes, it sure is. Well, all right. So there you have it. Even on this Christmas Day, or at least depending on when you're listening to it, it's published on Christmas Day. Um, you have a little bit of running news to keep you interested in the world of running. Now, we are going to be setting up for you in in the coming weeks as we begin the new year um, a great series on how we address change. And you've got to be ready for that because it is going to be wonderful and it's going to help you be successful in whatever things you're trying to change this new year. Because let's face it, we all want to, but it's hard to do it. So be ready for that. And before we start with that, don't miss the bonus episode coming out before the new year, an interview with Willie Fink, pro runner with Under Armour. That's going to be a great conversation. And always make sure to ask your questions, share your thoughts on your mind, comment and all the stuff and all the places so that we can see and hear what you're thinking about and talk more about the things that you want to talk about. Thank you all for joining us and we'll talk to you at the end of the week. <laughs>